By the year 2025, it is predicted that more than one and a half billion people around the world will have hypertension, accounting for nearly half of heart disease risk and three quarters of stroke risk. With new web-based technologies emerging as potential treatment options, how will we change our approach to care? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Beverly Green from the Group Health Center for Health Studies in Seattle. Dr. Green is the lead investigator of research published in JAMA on innovative web-based interventions for patients with uncontrolled hypertension. Welcome, Dr. Green. Hello. We are discussing the future of web-based hypertension interventions. Dr. Green, tell us a bit about your background. How did you get involved with particularly this type of research? Well, um, I'm a family physician, and uh, hypertension is the most common diagnosis family physicians make. And so many visits, even though they're not for hypertension, include that diagnosis. And on an average day, I might see uh, three to five or maybe even more patients that I have to address blood pressure with. So it's extremely common. In addition to being a family physician, I have a degree in public health and epidemiology. With my public health background, I'm always interested in large public health problems, and hypertension certainly fit that groove. It's a good mix between family practice and public health, also because we don't do very well in controlling hypertension. I was very curious to understand why that was and to be able to do it better. How do you determine that you are not doing well in controlling hypertension? Well, you can do chart audits. That's the old-fashioned way. The way we can do it with an electronic medical record is we can actually look at blood pressures, and we are doing a study where we look at that. And if you include prehypertension, the new diagnosis, at any visit, about 60 to 70% of patients will have at least prehypertension, if not uncontrolled hypertension, which is about 40% of visits, which just astounded us. And how did you come up with the ideas specifically in your research project? We already had an electronic medical record and were using secure email. We also had pharmacists that were very successful at doing phone-based clinical interventions uh, like increasing patient statins to get LDL below 100, putting patients with diabetes on lisinopril. So we knew we had experience and I had personal experience with how great the pharmacists are at group health. Has the FDA approved any of the technology that was used in your research? I'm not sure about blood pressure monitors, whether they need FDA approval, but I believe they do. And yes, and they've been validated in peer-reviewed journals as being very accurate. And there's probably only a one to three millimeter difference between a very well-done mercury assessment and a valid automated blood pressure machine. If this type of management progresses, as I expect it would, based on your research, what will it take for our insurance companies to begin paying for these measures? I think an overhaul and a new way to think about care. It's possible that risk adjustment might help to some degree because it'll take it away from the service of actual visits. But I'm not quite sure what it will take. But I think this kind of study 
increases in the noticeability of the value of providing care in the ways that we already are over the telephone and over the web, and we're going to have more and more of this. How do physicians look at their own financial aspect of medicine with respect to this new evolving technology? Well, a group Health is a managed care organization, so the physicians see a set panel that are in the group health-owned clinics. So to them, secure messaging is just one more thing in their day, and they don't get any particular compensation whether they have extra patients or extra secure emails. I do sometimes think, depending on the physician, that having a bunch of emails is an imposition, particularly if the patient load doesn't decrease. But I think that's been recognized in our organization as we've gotten these tools that that physicians need to have adequate time or they need adequate assistance like pharmacists or uh, nurses that look at the email first so if the patient just wants a refill, the physician doesn't have to deal with that email. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guest is Dr. Beverly Green from the Group Health Center for Health Studies in Seattle. We are discussing the future of web-based hypertension interventions. Dr. Green, can you give us your prediction on how this program will impact hypertension care on a much larger and even global scale? I think it has the potential to make big differences particularly in areas where the resources to have a care visit is less. It is not hard to provide the technology. The machines are cheap. Even if a patient can't have one on their own at home, they, in a small community there could be a uh, place where they could go within uh, a little health center where they could go and they could work remotely with other providers on a global level in developing countries, and we know that hypertension is a huge problem in Asia. Now, you've mentioned that this research is certainly suitable for hypertension. Why particularly hypertension, and and what other diseases might it also be useful for? We think it can be applied to to most chronic conditions, and even some of the acute concerns and of patients such as preparing for an appendectomy or the follow-up care afterwards for surgery. And I believe there was one study that showed increased satisfaction patients when they were allowed to have those services with their surgeon. So we think it has broad applications. Did you specifically choose hypertension because of the poor control or because of the relative ease of logistics fitting into your study? No, we, we both lined up at the right time, and we ran with it. Do you think that there will be limitations in terms of the patient population being facile enough to deal with the new electronic age of computers and the Internet? We did look at computer access, and there were uh, 20% of the people that we called uh, to ask them if they wanted to come in for a screening visit didn't have access to a computer by not having Internet or an email address. And those people tended to have lower educational levels, older, and uh, more likely to be from ethnic and racial minority groups. So we know that there is a group that will be excluded. However, as the generations age, the younger generation are being exposed in school, we think that this digital divide will narrow over time. 
And more and more people will be very savvy with these tools. In fact, they will probably use their telephone rather than a computer and that they won't have to write in their blood pressures. There will be ways to automatically transmit the numbers and that patients will actually demand these types of services, not just for blood pressure, but for making appointments, for communication, for refills, for knowing more about their health conditions. Are there any groups across the country that are doing similar things that you're doing? Tell us about that, please. I know of other people that are extending the um, research to include other conditions and other people that are including high blood pressure in, in populations that have other conditions such as diabetes and heart disease. And are their findings likewise as good as yours? Well, they haven't completed. Ours was the first study that was completed, so I haven't seen the results on any of the blood pressure because they're just starting. In terms of other chronic conditions, um, actually we were the first, first large randomized controlled trial for any chronic condition. No, there aren't results yet. There are, th- there are other things like process measures and patient satisfaction, but not treatment outcomes. With so many diseases that our care has been wonderful in terms of decreasing morbidity and mortality and really uh, improving uh, patients' health so much, why does it seem that we be, are doing such a poor job with hypertension? I think it, it's complex. As as I mentioned before, it's not always the priority on the patient's list when they come in for a visit, and there's often plenty of excuses when the doctor discovers that it might be elevated or they may not even notice it in their busy day. That happens to me frequently. At the end of the day, I'm finishing my charting, and I say, oops, that patient had a pretty high blood pressure, and I didn't even see it, and I think that happens. But even when I do see it and address it with the patient, it might we might both decide it's because they're having a headache day or they didn't take their medicine right that day or the, you know, find some other reason not to change and intensify the medications or tell them to come back and we'll have them check it again to make sure it, it's up twice and a lot of time is lost and the patient may never come back. The other factor is you know, what does the patient do when they're at home? Do they take their medicines? And the uh, electronic medical record actually is a very nice way to see if the patient is taking their medications, even if they don't fill it within a closed system, because you can count the days in between refills, and if they're late on their refills, consistently late, then you know that they're not taking their medicine every day, and then you can address that issue in particular. On a practical matter, we talk about sustained hypertension. Uh, When patients take their own blood pressures at home, how do you determine that one blood pressure may be spurious uh, and another may be part of a trend? Well, that's a very good question. Blood pressure is highly variable, and particularly the higher the blood pressure goes, and can vary as much as 30 points in one day in in one individual with high blood pressure. More typically, it, it doesn't vary that much. But wouldn't be unusual for it to, to vary 10 points. So we think that the more blood pressures you get, the better. And how do you average all those blood pressures? Well, a couple things. Well, usually when a patient comes in to their doctor, they bring a card. What do you do with that card? You sit there and stare at it for a while <laughs> <laughs> and don't know what to do with it. In our study, we actually had um, some workarounds because the thing is all this can be done electronically. You can average, you can trend, you can look for deviations 
that aren't expected, that are out of the 95th percentile and throw those numbers out when they're very much outliers. So, and, and machines can do this. We, we did a workaround where the numbers we got, we did that for them, and we averaged and we trended. And it was actually put on a graphics that already existed in um, our patient-shared medical record where the patient could look at their trend over time. And do you think that pharmacists will play a more proactive and reactive role as you have in your study? I don't know if it will be pharmacists per se, but I know that the team concept will become more and more important. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Beverly Green. We've been discussing the future of web-based hypertension interventions. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.